room, um, as we've been going through this the last couple of weeks, kind of smacks us up against the uh, side of the head and, and helps us realize we don't have breathing room. And again, it, it's mostly our own doing. We choose our own schedule. We choose how to do things or not do things. And when it comes to our finances, it's as if we live in an affluent community and we say, finances? What, what, what are you talking about? What's wrong? I mean, uh, in zip code in the area, 80132 and 80921, we have uh, a $95,000 average household income. Now, I know many of you are going... Um, we must be on the real low end of that, and there must be some high ones because we're averaging out at 95. Where, wherever you think you fall in that, my point is this. In our community, we oftentimes think that finances are our doing. We were probably raised by parents that said, hey, with your finances, right, you need to be responsible. You need to make sure that you uh, are taking care of them. Make sure that you set aside so much money for for tithing and so much money for savings and so much money to spend and so much money for recreation and these kinds of things. <clears throat> and so you say, well, I feel like I'm a fairly good money manager. How often did your parents, though, I'm going to ask you, talk about the fact that money is not about being good stewards according to the world's standards, but being a good steward according to God's standards? How many of you actually heard from your parents, you know what, this has to do with your relationship with God, not whether or not you can have enough food on the table or whether there are plenty of cars in the driveway or all of these things that need to happen according to our schedule, but that in reality, how we view money, how we treat money, how we respond to money is actually a God issue. Well, my guess is that not many of us we're taught that. Not many of us have been uh, used or, or have had it explained to us how God wants to bless us. And we're not talking in necessarily monetary means or in our bank accounts or in our retirement. But that God wants to bless us when our hearts are turned right. And that's where we find ourselves this morning with this text from Matthew chapter 19. You see, in Matthew 19, a rich man comes to Jesus. When he approaches Jesus, he's feeling pretty good about himself. And, and maybe, and, and again, no offense if you're feeling pretty good about yourself this morning, about where your finances are and how you, how you tithe or how you give, and, that, and that's all good. But my guess is this morning we're probably going to be affronted with um, a reality that we didn't wake up this morning thinking would smack us. So in chapter 19 of Matthew, verse 16, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, I'm not going to have the screen switch to this, but I want to read you the last verse in this reading. Verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So let me put those two things together. What must I do to get eternal life? Jesus responds, Well, with man this is impossible, but with God... All things are possible. So I want you to understand that here in this section of Scripture, we have what's called an inclusio. At the very beginning is the main point. At the very end is also the main point stated a little differently, or it supplements the first point. And everything else in the middle, it just fleshes it out. 
Quite frankly, we could do an entire sermon on just those two verses because that's the main thing. It's not about our finances. It's not about whether the church is meeting budget or not meeting budget. The point is, is are we concerned about the same things that Jesus is concerned with? You see, this rich man says this, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And that is the number one thing. This is why we have you trying to love your neighbors. This is why we keep pushing you to say, hey, when you're in a life group, when you, when you join them, with someone, always have a seat open and invite your neighbor. And I know it grates on you because you're sitting there going, really? You, you haven't met our neighbors. We don't want them over at our house and I don't want to go to their house. Now, there are others of you that say, no, we've got some pretty decent neighbors. We, we like to hang out with them. They always bring a bottle of wine and so they can come over anytime. They're just buying your friendship. I just want you to know that. But that's, that's another point. But no, this is why we push. This is why we shove. This is why we encourage. This is why we are so bullheaded about this. Because the number one thing in being a Christian is your concern for your neighbor. Are they saved? And if it's not, my guess is, is you're orienting your schedule, the way you spend finances, and the way you develop relationships around something else. Well, I need to work on my personal relationship with God. No, you don't. Are you coming to worship regularly? Are you in the Word regularly? You say, well, no, I don't read the Bible very regularly. Okay, work on that. But while you're working on that, are you praying for your neighbor? Are you reaching out to your neighbor? Are you concerned about your neighbor's eternal salvation? I've got good neighbors. They're Mormon. Friend, let me just burst that bubble for you. The Mormon religion is all about works. They literally want Jesus to answer this question. What good must I do to get into heaven? We don't believe that. We don't believe it because Scripture clearly says this is not based on your good works. This is not how good you are. Oh, well, I've got some good Catholic friends that are next to us. You know what? I don't have to worry about them. They're, they're, they'll be in heaven. Well, yeah, there probably will be a lot of Catholics in heaven. However, the majority of teaching that comes out of the Catholic Church, and I know this is going to sting for a lot of you, is works righteousness, meaning... You do good things in order to get into heaven. You go to worship regularly and that gets you points. That's not what we believe because that's not what Scripture teaches. The man rightly asked, what good must I do to get into heaven? And Jesus finishes it with, well, with man, this is impossible. But with God... All things are possible. And I think that's why, especially in our community, in our state, in our region, of the, we're, we're so used to pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're so used to going west and making a name for ourselves. We're so used to hearing our parents say, make something of yourself. And so we've made something of ourselves. And we've gotten more education and a better paying job. And with a better paying job come more toys. And with more toys comes more responsibility and more things that break down and more time to take care of those toys and a bigger home and everything that comes with it, including the mortgage and the bills. 
and the debt. Because we haven't made God first. We haven't made him number one in our life. We have not absolutely said, God, wait a minute, how do you want me to think about money? Well, Jesus doesn't immediately add, answer this rich young man that um, it is impossible for man to do. He, he leads him through something here. Verse 17, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. And if you want to enter eternal life, obey the commandments. Now, let me explain something here. Pastor Dyer, you just said that a couple of different religions that I'm familiar with are works righteous. And yet Jesus just said the words, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. That sure sounds like be good, do good, and you'll enter eternal life. Let me explain something, what Jesus means here. And we know this from our context. What Jesus is saying is, I don't, I don't need you to be good, but those who believe in me, those who believe in the Father, who, who he alone is good, they do good things. It's the natural result. It's not in order to earn God's favor. It's what people who believe in God do. It's how they act. It's not even a question of trying to obey the commandments. Those that believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, their life is changed and transformed. All the time? No. But he moves us in a direction of obedience. So Jesus, uh, the man replies, well, which commandments? And he's feeling pretty good about himself, right? Like he's probably got a couple tucked away that he's really worked on. Maybe he doesn't cuss as much as he used to when he was younger. You know, maybe he doesn't steal from clients or, you know, he, he keeps the till regular at his business. You know, he's probably feeling really good about himself. He says, well, which commandments? I love this. Go ahead, just dare Jesus to answer your questions, right? I mean, some of you have probably done this at times in your life. You're like, well, uh, which one, Jesus? And Jesus says, um, do not murder. Now, most of us are going, yeah, I haven't actually taken a life yet. I thought about it, planned a couple. Um, you're looking over at your children, you're going, and you are high on the list if you don't behave. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, again, we have to hearken back. We have to take the whole entirety of Scripture here. And, and what Jesus mentions is, you know what? This isn't just about whether you've actually taken the blood out of somebody. It's when you've spoken ill of them. It's when you've gossiped about them. It's when you've brought their name down into the mud. You're a murderer. Do not commit adultery. Oh, no, 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 I've been faithful to my wife. How about premarital sex? How about continuing to look at porn? How about continuing the, when you're in the restaurant and the, the waitress walks by and you, you just let your eyes follow and your wife nudges you and you say, uh, I'm just looking, just a little window shopping, not buying. And you make it a joke. You think it's funny. Ladies, you do the same thing. Well, I, you know, oh, we hear the age old. Why well, we don't dress for the men in our lives? We dress for the other ladies. You can tell yourself that's all you want. But ladies, we commit adultery when we dress in such a way as to cause another woman's husband to stumble and fall.
Do not steal. This is pretty easy because we all steal time away from our families and where we should be. It may not be a monetary dollar figure, but we steal. Do not give false testimony. Why? No, no, the thing I say about my neighbors is all true. <laughs> they are horrible people. <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't get to say that. Giving false testimony, it's also not putting the best construction on things. So you hear something's going, what is going on with that pastor and that church and da da da? And you begin to just jump right down, jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, it's, a, it's an eighth commandment issue. You're not putting the best construction on it. Honor your father and your mother. Yeah? Cooper, Taylor, how are you guys doing with that one this morning? You should have seen this. This was awesome. If I'd had a camera, their heads went, hmm. Hmm. Young man in verse 20 says, all of these I have kept. Really? Well, you just must be feeling really good about yourself, aren't you? I mean, that's, if I were Jesus, I couldn't hold back my sarcastic bone at all. I mean, I'd just be going, well, don't break your arm because you're just back there patting yourself so good. Yeah, all these I've kept. So now Jesus knows what? Here's the point. I want you to understand. Jesus knows you cold. Because he throws something out there, and when you're feeling pretty good about yourself, you're going to answer back, well, I've, I've, I've done these. Uh, you've changed my heart, Jesus, and uh, I'm not nearly the sinner I was last week, so I'm much better off. Jesus goes, oh, fine. He knows exactly where to go. He is the expert surgeon to excise from you a response that is going to finally admit where you say, you know what, I'm a sinner. See, this man, he's not willing to say it yet. This is the problem with Christians. We start to feel real good about ourselves, and we don't ever admit, no, nope, you know what? I am a sinner. I am dark. I am evil in my thoughts. And so Jesus goes right to work. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What, what, what Jesus does is he goes after the very thing that is in this guy's wheelhouse, the very thing that he's good at. Now, we don't know. Did he inherit it? Who knows? Did he work hard and, and is managing money? And so, man, it just comes up better and better and better. He gets great return on his investment. He's probably excellent with money. The issue's not money. The issue is about the man's heart. Jesus goes after the very thing the man cherishes the most. Because it's an idol. When God says, obey the commandments, and thou shalt have no other gods before me, he knows our tendency to make money an idol. 
Oh, no, no, I don't worship money. No, no. Worship. The thing by which you spend the most time with, money on and energy about. Come and worship, what, a good hour a week? Maybe you got personal morning devotion time at best, maybe an hour a week. So we're going to give it the round holy number of seven hours a week. Awesome. How much time do you spend making money, keeping money, balancing money, fretting over money? My bet is, is it's more than seven hours. You have an idol. We have an idol. And that's the point that Jesus is getting at here. And I'm convinced that in this world, the reason we don't have breathing room is because we have made bad decisions. There are many of us that for the rest of our life, we're going to be paying off debt. We know the right thing. We know what to do. But you know what? It's going to take us the rest of our life to pay off the debt. All right. So be it. There are others of us that are continuing to go into debt because we believe the lies that the world says. Have it now. Pay for it later. I love it when layaway starts making its way onto the shelves in the toy aisle in August. Kid you not, right over here, it even says, parents. You know who the audience is. Parents. Put it on layaway starting, starting now. Why? Because, well, you better have that thing for your kid at Christmas. Ugh. No wonder we have no margin. No wonder we have no room. Because we've believed the lie. Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus tells his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It doesn't say that a rich man can't enter the kingdom of God. It doesn't say that it's sinful to have more money than your neighbors or your family members or the people in the company. It's not sin to have money. What's sinful is is the heart that says, I'm going to spend all my time, energy, and effort after the mighty dollar. Now, you've probably heard sermons before. Well, is this literal or figurative? And the answer is yes. It is very difficult for a camel laden with bags of gold and other jewels to make it through a gate called the needle in Jerusalem. Yep, it would have been very difficult for a rich man coming in with all of his money, hanging off the sides of a camel to go through that opening in the wall of Jerusalem. It is also difficult in our mind's eye to picture that a big old camel, we're going to go with a two-hump kind this morning, a two-hump camel, it's going to be very difficult to get through your sewing needle's eye. So whether you look at it as literal or symbolic, it doesn't matter. The message is still the same. It's difficult. Why? Because when our heart's not aligned correctly with God, then it becomes an idol. And you don't get into heaven by the good grace of an idol. You get into heaven by the good grace of Jesus. 
that this passage isn't as much about money as it is about a heart. The disciples hear this, right? They're greatly astonished. Let me translate this for you. They were about to die. They were in such shock. Huh? Right? Well, wait a minute. How is this even possible? You just asked the richest guy we've ever heard of to get rid of it all, and then maybe he gets in? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Do you realize that God can change your idea about how much money you need to retire? He could also give you more money on which to retire. I don't know which one he's going to do. I know which one you're probably going to pray for. I don't know a single person that has been on bended knee, folded their hands, had, uh, folded their hands, bowed their heads and said, Dear Lord, we want to be in retirement nearly poor, but provide everything for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And yet... I've mentioned this before. When I was mission trip in Uganda, I met people that make not even $300 a year who were poor. And they were the most joyous Christians I've ever met in my life. And they didn't have a thing in comparison to us. With man, it's impossible. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Cannot cannot happen, cannot serve God and money. Money is God's tool, his instrument. It is also his blessing. But you cannot serve money. You cannot serve the master that hands you the money in place of serving God first. Can you take a promotion? Absolutely. Can you make more money? Sure. Can you do whatever is necessary and possible to pay off debt? Absolutely. But you can't let it be your God. You can't. You can't afford it. You can't afford it because Jesus says you can't serve both. You absolutely cannot serve both. And you will pick one and you'll despise the other. That's just how it is. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 and following, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You want to know what serving money? You want to know what making it an idol? You want to know what not, not getting rid of that idol in your life can do? It says it pretty cl clearly here. Paul warns Timothy, warn your congregation. 
people have lost faith because of their desires for money. And that's not what God wants for us. That's not his desire. That's not his plan. We don't hear a a sermon on on, on giving or money so as to go, yep, I knew it. See, it's the fall. He just wants us to give more. No, I don't care how much you give. I trust God completely to put and place that on your heart. What I care about is, is your heart right? Hebrews chapter 13 Verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Give up the God, the idol, the whole unholy pursuit of all that is gold and glitters. And I'm telling you, you'll have time in abundance. You can't buy more time. Now be responsible with what God has given you. Yep. I'll have to pay the piper, right? We grouse about, right, paying taxes every year, but we do it. What amazes me are Christians that come to church, well, I'm not giving. I don't have to give, so I'm going to show that I don't have to give. Okay, awesome. Just wait until you see what God does, because he's going to prick your heart. He's going to let you know, this is not acceptable. (laughs) This is not good. Why? Because you're not obeying my commandments, and my commandments are this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. And those sum up the entirety of the commandments. So that when God says, give me a tenth. You you mean that kind of still fits today? Yeah. We obey the commandments. Now, you're probably sitting there just like the disciples were. And the disciples said, how is this possible? How on God's green earth am I supposed to change, right? Well, Romans chapter 12 says, Therefore, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So friends, this is where it starts. It starts with your brains. It starts with thinking aright. It means thinking new. It means changing the way that you receive stimuli and information from the world. So instead of believing the lie that more is better, instead of believing the lie that you should pursue it with all costs in order so that you don't ever have to work in retirement or so that you can go on the whatever vacation, quit believing the lie. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And and this is what needs to be renewed. That the number one thing in this world is that we care about whether our neighbor is saved. That we walk in such a way as to try to be an example. We're not going to be good at it. We're not even going to be great at it. But by the grace of God, we're going to walk along with our neighbor, and we're both going to be sinners that say, Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us. And die. Part of that renewing of your mind is a dying. It's a dying to yourself, to your selfish ambitions, dying to your schedule, dying to your bank account, dying to all of the things the world says are important, and instead listening to God. 
Yesterday, I had the pleasure of being in Beulah, Colorado to perform a wedding. Never been to Beulah, Colorado. Has the distinction of being the only place in the world that has red marble that, was cut, that came out of the quarries there. And in our state capital, it's lined inside with red marble. It was only open for 10 years. There was a singular vein that they found. Uh, Beulah, Colorado, as far as I know, has nothing else to its name except this. It is a great little environmental camp that rents out rooms and they do weddings. And it has these old historical buildings there. And when people say, man, I just, I have a picture in my mind of the ultimate Colorado wedding. And it's got beams and stone and pine cones all over the place and this little bitty outdoor kind of chapel. I'm painting the picture for you because I want you to kind of be there in your own mind's eye. I mean, it was blue sky with a couple of puffy clouds. Oh, it was perfect for an outdoor Colorado wedding. You couldn't have asked for anything better. The couple, this is their second marriage. It kind of weirded me out. The, the bride is younger than me and yet has a grandson. I was like, I, I don't even know how to put that into understanding what we're doing right here, but all right. So the couple come down and, and the men are all in cowboy hats, vests, boots on and wranglers and she comes down in her wedding gown and we're going through the ceremony and we get to the part where I come out and I've, I've talked about the word of God and I've talked about what's important in life and I look at the groom and I say, Brad, I said, are you ready to die? And he kind of Still up a little bit. I said, are you ready to get rid of your name, your fortune, your heart's desires? Are you willing to die to the things that your buddies want you to do? Are you willing to give it all up in order that you can bring honor and glory to this woman in everything you do? And a tear streamed down his face. Because I hadn't prepped him for this. I didn't tell him I was going to ask him this question. And you can tell at the very moment he realized his inadequacy. And he's in front of his family and his friends. And he sobbed. He said, Pastor Dyer, I'll, um, I'll do my best. But I don't think it's possible. And this bride took her husband to be in her hands, wrapped around his face. And she said, with God, all things are possible. Some of you are dying to hear that from your spouse. Whether it's a lack of margin or breathing room, 
in your schedule or work or finances. You're dying to hear from them. Babe, with God, all things are possible. And I don't know where you stand in your relationship with Jesus. I don't know if it seems so big, so immense, like God's going to change everything. How I view money, how I spend money, where we go, what I say, what I watch. Yeah, yeah, he's going to do that. But he's going to do it because he loves you. And I'm telling you that living a transformed life, having your mind renewed, transformed, that you think differently, that's the end goal here on earth is to be living this transformed life in Jesus Christ so that the name of Jesus is given all honor and glory, so that the God of creation is exalted and praised And so that we remember that there is nothing that comes between us and God. That neither height nor depth nor breadth or anything can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Hebrews 13. Do you not know that God said, I will never leave you? I will never forsake you. Friends in Christ, hold on to that promise and I will guarantee you riches for eternity. Amen.